know the love of Christ, Ephesians 3.19. To know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge is one of the things that the Apostle Paul prays for for the Christians in Ephesus. It's something that we should strive for as well. That is why this podcast is called To Know the Love of Christ. Each episode, we will study scripture in its context, but also dive deep to find the love of Christ, a love so fervent, so honest, and so faithful that it's the very essence of his being. We invite you to know the love of Christ. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to To Know the Love of Christ. If you joined us on our last episode, then you are aware that we covered Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But if you didn't, that's okay. I will share a quick recap with you before getting into today's episode. So, on the last episode, we discussed the gift of grace and how in this particular passage, Paul was more so speaking about the gift of grace being our talents that we can use to help grow the kingdom of God. Uh, We discussed how every individual, even those who are not members of the body yet, have already been equipped to help grow the kingdom and that everybody has some God-given talent that they need to be using for the cause of Christ. Our discussion continued with us understanding and learning more of how we can grow and mature in the word of God so that we are not easily persuaded to turn away to another doctrine and how to teach others the doctrine of Christ in love and in truth. So if you missed that, be sure to go back and join us for that great study. Today, we will be covering the remainder of Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32, and Dee will be leading this discussion today. So if you're ready to study and learn with us, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. Dee? Great. Thank you, Brittany. Today is a special episode because we have a guest with us. Yay! Please welcome, <laughs> Please welcome Ingrid Stewart. She is one of our members at South Florida Avenue, and we asked Ingrid to join us because she is a good student of God's Word, and we know that she will bring some insight to this episode. Mm -hmm. So Ingrid, would you like to say something about yourself? Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Ingrid. I have been a member of the church for 30 plus years. 30 plus (laughs) years. Thank you, And I've been at South Florida Avenue about two years um, come October. And I'm hoping whatever I say today will um, help out in some way. All right, let's get started. This is a large section that we are studying today. For the sake of time, we will read the verses that we are discussing as we go. So this section of scripture, which is 17 through 24, which is the first part we're going to study, reminds me of chapter 2, 1 through 10, because it's dark, (laughs) and then it shows us the light of Christ. So interesting that in both these sections, Paul is talking about sin and life without God, then goes into Christ and the newness of life. So let's read verses 17 through 19. I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. What did Paul mean when he tells the Ephesians not to walk in the futility of their mind, in the Gentiles' mind? 
When you read verses 18 and 19 and you add it with verse 17, Paul is telling the Ephesians not to walk foolishly or in vain like that of the Gentiles. Throughout Ephesians, we have continued to mention the idolatry that was so prevalent in these ancient times. Yes, the Jews were the chosen people of God. They knew the one true God of heaven, but with idolatry being so widespread, it was easy to turn and worship another little G God and or worship the God of heaven as well. Uh, the Gentiles were seen as outsiders who didn't know the God of heaven. They were pagan individuals. And Paul reminds the Ephesians of this fact. Um, they don't understand God because of the their ignorance of knowledge. And if we look back at verse 13 of chapter 4, Paul mentions us having to attain the knowledge of Jesus Christ, growing and maturing in that knowledge. Verse 19 says... Um, they have become callous, and that's the ESV version. Uh, they have no regard for anyone but themselves. The Gentiles did what made them happy. Without the knowledge of God, I mean, you know, how how would any of us know that living in a worldly manner is wrong when so much um, of our society says the way you choose to live your life is your business and no one has the right to tell you otherwise. Um, so much of the world is coasting through the wide gate it's the easiest road travel you know Brittany does and says what makes her feel good i'm living for me and me only but the narrow gate the bible says that's the hardest road travel but it has the greatest reward in the end matthew 7 13 through 14 but so much of the world is worried about the right now and and not what's to come and that was the thinking of the gentiles Okay, um, Ephesus, they were um, a city that was given over to idolatry. They also had a lot of um, priestesses that were in, um, that worked the temple. So their background is a lot of idolatry. And to me, the futility of their mind in the King James, it says vanity. Their thinking was basically empty. It didn't lead to anything good. And um, Paul had to remind them, listen, you can no longer think the way you used to. You have to, you know, do better as far as your thinking. Think along spiritual lines now. This verse, verse 17 specifically, uh, made me think about Galatians 6, 8, where it says that the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Their lifestyle was so dark and worthless and corrupt, but in their own minds and in the minds of anyone that lived in the world at that time or in this time even, it looked so vibrant and fun mm -hmm. and joyful. But it, it makes me think about that verse about the rottenness in the bones. Mm -hmm. And we've all heard the phrases, Brittany mentioned a few, um, but like live your best life and do what makes you happy mm -hmm. and treat yourself and while there's nothing necessarily wrong with saying those things, I mean, I've even said those things sometimes jokingly, um, sometimes seriously. There's nothing wrong with that, but they do, when used frequently, kind of have a worldly attitude and mindset. And if you look at Hebrews 3.13, at the end of that verse, it, it's talking about exhorting one another every day. It says, you do that so that you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. They have lived, they had lived in sin for so long and they'd practiced it to perfection yeah. you know you say practice makes perfect right. 
Well, they had perfected it. Right. That's so, all they knew. Yeah, and they yeah. had done it for so long that they were unable to see the truth. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. It's like, uh, like Ingrid was saying, Paul is really just driving this home to the Ephesians because it it was just empty. It was just nothing. Like you said, it's dark. It was a dark life, but they thought it was great. So if if uh, the hardening of the heart in verses 18 and 19 or being past feeling like the new King James says and ESV says being callous, become callous. Um, is that all that the same? Is it, or is it like, or is it, do you see a difference in it? And, and what is that difference? Is it, you know, ignorance of God, the lack of faith or defiance of God? I think that it is different. Um, I'd say that the hardening of the heart is the process where you allow yourself to be desensitized to sin and all the consequences that come with it. But being past feeling or being calloused is kind of the result of that process. At that point, you've gone through that whole process and you've arrived here. And I think that ignorance and a lack of faith and defiance all play a role in these. It depends on the individual. We are all drawn away by our own lust. Different things affect us differently. And we all have different circumstances that we grow up into. But I know like one of my kids has a problem with defiance mm-hmm. while the other does not. <laughs> and I'm not going to name them, <laughs> you know, for their protection and mine. Um, but I also think that there are some other things that I thought of that can lead to this, like who we choose to surround ourselves with and an inability to correctly examine ourselves and properly apply that. Like James 1, 23 through 27, where it says, you know, you look in the mirror and you see your face and you walk away mm-hmm. and you don't do anything about it. And I think that if you have friends that are always excusing your behavior and they aren't helping you to stay accountable, if you have friends who are worldly, we always talk about, you know, you're going to pick up, you're going to do the same things your friends do. Well, you're also going to think the same things your friends think if you're around them enough. You're going to pick up those attitudes and you can allow them to kind of seep into your mind and corrupt it without even knowing. And if you're looking at yourself and comparing yourself to the wrong standard with the wrong measuring stick, you can't trust the outcome of that assessment I think all that plays into whether you well not whether how you um, come about being calloused okay for me um, I use my vines complete expository dictionary and it says hardening is used metaphorically of dulled spiritual perception and to also see blindness, which primarily means a covering with a callous. Hardness is to become callous or cease feeling pain. Insensible, which means void of any feeling to honor and shame. It's like a person who is unconscious. They're unaware of their surroundings and don't feel any sensation. Or maybe a person who is under anesthesia. They're not aware of so they're basically, you know, hardened. They're no feeling. Too, yeah. yeah. So they lack feeling. Okay, so to me, both phrases mean the same thing. Um, I thought of um, 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, verse 2, which it says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with an hot iron. So it's basically the same for the, the Ephesian um not the Ephesian Christians, but the way their lifestyle used to be. Um, And personally, I think on the part of the Gentiles, it's ignorance, 
because they choose to be blind and they're openly defiant to the word of God. And um, in verse 18, where it says, um, darken in their um, understanding, um, my um, ESV version reference Romans 11, verse 8. So to me, they were aware of God, but they made a conscious choice to be defiant and not follow what they knew to be right. Ooh, I'm having fun with what I'm doing. I love the life I live, and I don't care what you tell me. I'm going to live, you know, mm -hmm. this way. Yeah, these verses are in stark contrast to what Paul has told them earlier, you know, just emphasizing his point. So like verse 18 is the complete opposite to Ephesians 1.18, which is the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Here he says darkened that you may know, which is ignorance. What is the hope of his calling alienated from God? And what are the riches of his of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And verse 19 is the complete opposite of verse 12 earlier in this chapter for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to the to work all uncleanness with greediness for the edifying of the body of Christ, giving themselves over to licentiousness yeah. or impurity, as the ESV says. So, Brittany, what you got to say about it? Um, yeah, I, I agree with Stephanie. I, I think hardening of the heart and to become callous are, are two different things. So when you hear the word hard, you think about something being solid, <clears throat> excuse me, or unbreakable. Um, if something is hard, it's it's inflexible. It can't be bent, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that throughout the Bible, when an individual's heart is being spoken of, the Bible is speaking about the heart or the core of your mind, you know, where your heart slides, not the muscle that pumps our blood. So when we put those two facts together, is we have a person whose thoughts are unwilling to change. Uh, they can't be bent or persuaded to see something from another angle. Um I think when you mention or when you say an individual has become callous, um, I think if an individual is callous, they are insensitive or uncaring towards anyone else. Uh, to be a callous person is to be a cruel person. So you might try and teach me the Bible and say, Brittany, you've got to change your ways and your way of thinking if you want to go to heaven. The life you're living is wrong and unpleasing to God. I can respond in a kind manner without being disrespectful towards you, your beliefs and your feelings. But if I'm callous, I wouldn't have any respect um, for you, your feelings or your beliefs. And I might not even, you know, give you the time of day. So to be both callous and hard hearted is to have um, all three of the components that you asked about earlier, which were um, ignorance of God, lack of faith or defiance of God. While I do think hardening of the heart and to become callous are two different things. I think they all um, come from the same thing. And that is the, the ignorance of God, lack of faith or defiance um, of God. So, um, you know, you just think, how can I truly devote myself to a religion and to a quote unquote man or being 
um, that I have no knowledge of. If I have no knowledge, then I am lacking in the one faith. And if my faith is lacking and add to that, I still have no knowledge, then I am being defiant towards God because I have not yet obeyed his will. All right, good. Verses 20 through 24 now. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. That was the New King James Version. So if you remember, chapter 4 is the beginning of the how of getting to know God through Christ. He's reminding them of their old ways versus new ways. So verses 20 and 21, I really like Paul's technique of inciting self-evaluation. He's like, but you have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Okay, this is my two cents. Okay, <laughs> now, now that I've learned that the things I used to do are sinful and they lead to spiritual death and eternal damnation, after renewing my mind constantly with the word of God so I don't fall back into those old fleshy habits, put off the old man and make sure to replace him with the new man. Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, all the way down, maybe to about verse um, 25. I think my verse that I picked out um, of it was um, in verse 19, if you note. I thought it was interesting to note that the works of flesh, works is plural, but the fruit of the Spirit, the word fruit is singular. There are many paths of sin, but the product of the spirit is one, and it involves several elements that are combined to make that one fruit. If you look at James chapter 3 and read verse 14 through 18 with Galatians chapter 5, if you notice that the word um, here in James also said fruit is singular. So um, I just wonder why fruit is in the singular, but when it comes to works, it's it's in the plural. So maybe that's something we can think about. You know, I can figure it out, and you can also do some research on your own and figure that one out. So I thought about Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So, you know, Paul reminds them of how they learned Christ. And then um, in verse 22, he tells them to put off your old self. And so, you know, everybody at one point in time before they came to know Christ used to walk in this old manner of life. You know, you were enslaved to sin. I love, I don't know, I'm an image, like word imagery kind of person. And that word deceitful it just, I don't know, it really resonates with me because that is what fleshly desires do to you. They lure you in and they promise one thing, but they deliver something entirely different. You know, when you think about yeah. mm-hmm. like adultery, well, you thought you were getting love by sleeping with that guy that you're not married to, that is married to someone else or whoever it isn't your husband, but instead you get heartbreak and loneliness and shame 
And that verse that I referenced earlier in Hebrews 3 speaks to the deceitfulness of sin. It says that it hardens our hearts. But another word that we could use there in place of deceit, when I looked it up in the Bible dictionary, is delusion. And I thought that was an even stronger word. Um, We're so intoxicated by sin and our own desires that we can't see or think clearly. I mean, why else would we give up so much for such a fleeting thing? And it's so pretty. That's why. It's so pretty. Mm -hmm. And it's packaged nicely. And it's glittery and shiny. And we just go for it. Unless we're wise enough to not. Which that passage tells us, you know, you know better. You're past that. Be better. Yeah. Everything about sin is all a lie. Yep. You know, it's all lies. Yeah, I was thinking about what Stephanie said about how she's an imagery person. And then immediately I thought about Proverbs 23, 31, uh, where it says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and go down, goes down smoothly. Uh, in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Um, your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Sin is never painted at least in our society today, as a as a bad thing. I mean, think about all the commercials we see on TV. You yeah. know, you see people smoking cigarettes, and it's like there's this life of luxury behind it. You're supposed to be puffing and and in your fancy, elegant Dior gown or something. Mm-hmm. And even when you when you're having a drink, you know, whether it's a beer or where they're advertising wine, you know, it's always these ladies and these gentlemen just having a good time. You know, so sin is never paint it to be a, a, a bad thing, always paint it to be fun and enjoyable. And I think so many of us, we deceive our children, you know, into thinking that you know, sin is not fun. No, it is. It is very fun. Mm-hmm. But the consequences in the end, that's what we need to talk about. We need to discuss what the consequences are in the end. And with that comes a lifetime of physical ailments, mental ailments. Like that, there are a lot of issues that are behind behind the, the scene of sin. But we're not talking about that because we're living in the right now. And the right now says... Have a glass of wine, smoke a camel, and mm-hmm. live 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 a great life because that's what it's all about. Right. Yep. All right, good. Verse 25 through 30 is a list of putting off the old man and the reason why. I'd like for us to di- briefly discuss each one, okay? So verse 25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members one of one another what's the effect on the body not our physical body but the body of christ when you think about it lies corrode trust when they're found out and proverbs 10 9 tells us that whoever walks into in integrity walks securely but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out and lies will always be found out even if it's not now in the judgment it will be but Sometimes, even if you suspect dishonesty, I don't know, I've noticed this in my own life, it changes the whole dynamic between two people, whether it's confirmed that there was a lie or deception. And when I think about applying that to the body of Christ, you can't be unified when it's like that. You can't be unified if you're leading a double life. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Good. Ingrid? 
Okay, for me, um, I have lying is a work of the flesh that it affects the entire body. People won't be, like um, Stephanie said, people won't be able to trust one another and it can lead to divisiveness. Um, I thought about Ananias and Sapphira um, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, how um, they lied and it, it affected the um, entire body. Mm -hmm. um, in a sense, it um, negatively affected them in the sense that when what happened when they died, they were killed right there. You know, it was a shock for the entire congregation, but even though it was negative, it could turn into a positive because then the congregation will realize how um, serious lying is and mm -hmm. God doesn't, you know, um, take it lightly. So we have to um, put away lying. And I also thought about the fact that the Ephesians lied about our teeth. Artemis, 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 <laughs> as being a goddess who should be worshipped, but now that they have become Christians, they they're going to have to tell the truth that God in heaven is the one true God. Yeah, Brittany. Um, Colossians three nine through ten comes to mind. Uh, do not lie to one another, since you have brought the old man with the deed. So makes the mention of that old man again and then in verse 10 and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him so the the spiritual aspect of it of the body of the effect that it will have on the body we are no longer recognized as god and not only does god not recognize us we're talking about that spiritual aspect but physically you know if you're if you're a liar, you will be you will be called out on it. Somebody's going to pick up on it at some point and they will recognize like, oh, you can't trust the word Britney says because she opened her mouth lie. And then, you know, you hear that saying, have you ever heard somebody lie so much they believe your own lies? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a statement. And I think, you know, at one point it started out as a funny thing. But there are some people that just. I've got to make my life seem so much better than what it is. I have to make me seem like I am right. so much better than I am. And with that comes just these outrageous lies, you know, and, and add to that even today in our society with social media, it's so much easier to lie, you yes, know, but spiritually more important than anything, God sees that you aren't who you portray yourself to be. And ultimately he's not pleased with that. Yeah, one thing about lying, I wanted to see what Jesus had to say about it. In John eight forty four, he says, you are of your father. He's talking to the Pharisees at this point. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he, lie, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the, a liar and the father of it. So... In God's eyes, lying is satanic. I mean, that that hurts. Yeah. You know, it's a deceitful lust, like from verse 22. It's selfish. And also in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, lying is one of the things that the Lord hates. It's an abomination mm -hmm. to him. 
Um, also in Psalm 145, 18 and 19, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. So if we're lying, he's not going to fulfill our desires and not going, not going to save us. You know, liars are one of the ones thrown into or cast like into hell. Fire. Yeah, and like a mm-hmm. fire. So lying is a severe, you think, you know, oh, it's just a little white lie. Well, a lie is a lie. He doesn't, no matter he, what color it is. Right. He doesn't see it that way. So it's, it, it's a lot more severe than we give it credit for. And it, it just kind of breeds a pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, most people that tell little white lies tell big lies too. Mm-hmm. What we would call a whopper. <laughs> you know. A whopper. Yeah, a whopper. But I mean, that whole idea, it's kind of wrapped up in pride most of the time mm-hmm. when you lie. Like I don't, either I don't want them to know something or I want them, like Brittany said, to think, think something so. grandiose about mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know. It's so hard when you find out that someone's been lying to you to trust them again. Yeah, it takes a long time. God knows everything. So I wonder about, does he trust us? You know? Ooh. Ooh, that's something to consider, huh? But he knows our hearts. Right. Right. But if, yeah. Ooh. If you're continually lying. That's what I was going to say. There's a difference with... You know, slipping up every now and then, but when you daily are living a lie, mm-hmm. then yeah. that's a totally different story. And going back to the body and how it affects the body, you know, when someone comes to you contrite and apologizing for lying, how you respond to them is going to affect how that relationship proceeds. And I know, like, we want to not cause someone to stumble, but we also want to encourage them to be honest. And I think about, you know, how uncomfortable it is to come forward sometimes and how we react as a church when someone's been lying, well, sinning at all, but when they've been lying is kind of, for better or worse, going to influence somewhat whether or not they choose to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know we have to move on, so I just want to make this this quick point. I also have Proverbs 6:19 in my notes as well. But I also thought about Matthew 12, 36 through 37. You know, our words have the power of life and death in them. So, you know, we need to think about whatever whatever it is we're gonna say. You know, you guys were talking about a uh, little white lies, and you know, Miss Ingrid Miss Ingrid mentioned as a lie, no matter color, and it's very true. But we also have to think even further than that, you know. You're not just hurting the person that you're lying to, but you're also hurting yourself in the end because your dwelling place is going to be hell for all eternity. So, yeah, right. There's a verse about that, that God sent them illusion to believe a lie. Yeah. And that verse reference was actually Second Thessalonians 2 verse 11. Verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So angry without sinning, when is it okay to be angry and how is it not okay? It is okay to be angry because that's a natural emotion that everybody has. I mean, think about when Jesus went into the temple and he was flipping over the tables because, you know, he he said that the Pharisees and, and the people had turned his father's house into a house of 
or den of thieves, you know, you're selling in there and that's not what this is for. And so he flipped over. So he was angry and mm -hmm. rightfully so. But flipping over those those tables, I don't I don't believe that was sin. And um, I think I think the key to this particular mood is learning how to control the action or the response that comes with feeling of anger. I don't know. I guess if you want some of my practical tips. <laughs> <laughs> sure, um, Brittany, let's hear them. <laughs> you know, stop and take a moment to breathe. Hide in the closet or the pantry. I do that. Uh, <laughs> scream in a pillow. I do that. You know, communicate. I don't always do that. <laughs> and then pray. I try to always do that. You know, so those are just some of those things that you can do when you feel yourself becoming angry or overwhelmed. You know, those those are completely fine to to do you know stop and take a moment so you can try and keep your anger under control as best we can good Ingrid um true confession this is one of um the emotion or besetting sin that I need to work on I just need to work on that so if you have any tips <laughs> I need some. <laughs> Stephanie, any tips for... Oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, like the two of you said, anger is an emotion, and therefore there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's what we do with that anger that can sometimes be the problem. And I don't mean just the physical part about letting it overwhelm us to the point that we go clock someone in the face, <laughs> you know, or throw something. If we allow it to affect our attitude... And let it color the rest of our, you know, circumstance. If we let it just, we just kind of steep in it, you know. Mm -hmm. I think about a tea bag in a in a boiling pot of water. It doesn't stay in that one area. It bleeds out yeah. until the whole pot is full of that tea. And you know, there's all those analogies about the frog in the pot, and um, and also the the difference between a potato and an egg. You stick them both in boiling water, and they react differently. Oh, the potato yeah. allows the water to soften it, and the egg, it hardens it. And so I think about those. But also, I was thinking about some of the physical effects that anger does on your body. It can increase your anxiety, yep. cause depression, give you high blood pressure. Yes. It can give you skin problems like eczema, heart attack, stroke, headache, digestion problems. And also... It, the way that it goes through your body is that it floods your body with stress hormones. And I'm just thinking, how am I supposed to be Christ-like when I'm feeling like this and my body is just, mm -hmm. it's not just your emotions, it's your whole body. You just kind of go into this, I guess, haze. that They call it rage, you know? Yeah. But if, I, if I'm allowing it to reign and rule my life, I think that it's definitely wrong at that point. But there's a line there. There has to be a point where it crosses over. And, you know, I don't think we can define that line. It's going to be different for everybody. You know, Brittany talked about Jesus flipping over tables. I don't think I can go somewhere and flip over a table and that ever be okay. <laughs> you know, so I'm definitely not going to be doing that. But if I, you know, if I, if I let it affect how I treat others, it's wrong. Yeah. Well, think about, you know, both mentioned the flipping over the tables. Why did he do that? I mean, they treated unrighteousness right they treated what was holy the temple 
as right. something common. It was just a marketplace mm-hmm. for them. So I think the <clears throat> I think the anger that we are allowed is the anger towards unrighteousness. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Things that people do not consider holy that mm-hmm. the Lord says, Hey, it's holy. Um and, you know, things that we can do today that might that might be an example would be, you know, our worship service being something common like a concert. You know, it's it's a holy, reverent event that we are supposed to participate in and for us to consider it a a music concert is right. entertainment. Entertainment. And it's not entertainment for us. It's a time to worship God. You know, think about other times um, people in the Bible got mad, you know, and their reason behind it. Moses was angry when the Israelites, Aaron in particular, made that golden calf that just popped out the fire. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a good anger because it was unrighteous. But think about Cain with Abel. You know, think about Jonah with the Ninevites for repenting he was angry with that that's not good and joseph's brothers were angry with joseph i mean that's also not a good reason to be angry so it's it's not okay when it's taking god's vengeance into our own hands romans twelve nineteen says you know vengeance is mine i will repay he's given us a spirit of and of power and of love and of a sound mind second timothy 1 7 so if we don't control our anger like you guys have been saying you know keep that sound mind we could be led away by deceitful lusts i just thought of two other reasons why we need to be careful with our anger and making sure we um, rectify it as quickly as we can if say it's a saturday night and you go to bed angry get up angry how is it going to affect your yeah, worship right. service yeah for sure you know it's definitely going to affect your worship service so you know we have to be careful and i'm showing my age the second thought <laughs> has gone <laughs> so next <laughs> well I, I had another thought you know i think it's also wrong in the sense that when you stay angry because that's really the problem that immediate fleeting anger is the Mm. emotion and when you sit in it and let it affect you Mm -hmm. steep Mm -hmm. you know it can change your perspective about god and we lose so many people Mm -hmm. to the world because of anger they get angry at god for one reason or another and i was talking to my husband about this i think d and i've had a conversation in the past about is it okay to be angry with god not on the podcast just in person right yeah And I was talking to my husband about it, just not even preparing for this podcast, but wondering, is that that okay? And he said, if you look at Moses, and um, I'm trying to think of the other two, but there are a couple other people, of course, I'm I'm showing my age as well (laughs) here, Ingrid, and my lack of sleep, there's that. Um, But they were irritated in an instant, but they didn't stay that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think yeah, Job think too. Job, you know, that was the other one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Job was was angry with God, and he was questioning him and everything. And in the end, God still blessed Job ten times over. You know, he lost everything in the be- beginning, but he gained way more than he had to start with. And he was angry with God and even questioned God. You know, and sometimes when I when I read the book of Job, I picture this little man just sitting there and you know just waving his finger at God like why are you letting this happen to me like why aren't you doing something like 
you see my suffering you see my problems man help me out you know and so it's just like but i would still count job as one of the faithful men in, right. in the Bible, you know, and we can learn something from him. And I don't think that just says, well, Job got angry with God, so I'm going to be angry with him, too. Right, no, he yeah. was genuinely he was genuinely frustrated in that moment. So I do think it, it is OK to be angry sometimes because you don't you don't understand. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the things that you said there kind of hit on it. It's really important. We choose it at a certain point. It stops mm-hmm. being that initial reaction. And it's a choice. And I'm letting myself, like, I'm sitting there and thinking about all the things and letting them build. Like, sometimes you want to be mad. Mm -hmm. You know, you Mm want to stay mad because at the end of that anger is going to be some pain when you let go of it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Real quick, just one last point I wanted to make was about uh, Proverbs 22, 24. And, you know, um, it says, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man, do not go lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. You know, don't make friends with an angry person, because if you do, in the end, you're going to set a trap for your soul. And obviously setting a trap for your soul is not a good thing. And also, you know, an angry person, if you're continuously anger and bitter for what you're going to be lonely. And Stephanie is right. You know, it's a choice. You know, you can choose to stay in that anger And it's not doing anything for you. You know, it's just making you miserable. And sometimes you're in your anger and the person you're angry with is going on with their life. They're not thinking about you, you know. So you choose to forgive and do better, you know, because the thing you're angry about has nothing to do with your soul salvation. And it's going to hinder, well, it does in the sense that if you keep in that anger, you can end up dying in your sin and losing your soul. Yep. We are going to take a break here. Because there is still so much wonderful biblical wisdom to cover, we will continue our study and conversation in the next episode. We will pick up with verse 28 and go through the end of chapter 4, and then we will share where we found the love of Christ. Please join us next time. We are so grateful you continue to join us. If you have been enjoying this study of Ephesians and would like to make it available to more of your family and friends or to anyone you think would love to study Ephesians too, please click like, love, or even share it. And in doing so, you will help spread the love of Christ. Christ.